Welcome back to the show. My first guest is UCI Professor of Ecology and Evolutionary Biology and currently Interim Chancellor for Research, Jim Hicks. As Director of Exercise, Medicine, and Sports Sciences Initiative, he has a great deal to say about the new paths of teaching, research, outreach that considers the benefits and the impacts of exercise from the biophysical to the cellular level. His appearance today is a timely way of conveying the upcoming hands-on community event that he's presenting, Moving Through Life on September 12th at the UC Irvine Student Center. Professor Hicks earned his BA in biology at Cal State Fullerton, his master's in science, and his PhD at the School of Medicine at the University of New Mexico. He completed his postdoctorate work at Abteilung Physiologie at the Max Planck Institute for Experimental Medicine at Grüdingen, Germany, as well as at the Scripps Institute of Oceanography. His media expertise has been extended to a pilot which hasn't yet made it onto the airwaves, but was called Twisted Creatures, a, a way of fleshing out what mythological creatures might look, and he was also a science consultant for that was released, the feature film Wally. At Jim Hicks's recent chat post-commencement with Olympic diving champion Greg Luganus, I became very enthralled with the prospect of exercise being introduced as a component to clinical trials. And I must say, I noticed for all the star power that Greg Luganus brought to that talk, I know that Greg Luganus was really dazzled with the heft that Professor Hicks and his colleagues brought to that discussion. It's a genuine pleasure to cover this illustrious step that the Exercise, Medicine, and Sports Sciences Initiative is taking under Dr. Hicks's direction. I'd like to welcome him today on Ask a Leader. Welcome to the show, Professor Hicks. Well, thank you, Claudia. Glad to be here. Looking forward to talking about the Exercise, Medicine, Sports Science Initiative. Well, this so uh, let's talk about this initiative here. Uh, it's a process that's been uh, developed over the last decade, and now you're launching this. Is this special to UCI? Uh, right. So the Exercise, Medicine, Sports Science Initiative really came about from a collection of faculty here on campus working in various schools, School of Medicine, School of Engineering, School of Social Sciences, School of Biological Sciences, who've been looking at physical activity and its effects on both human health as well as trying to understand the basic mechanisms that result in physical activity improving overall health and, and animal function. And about two years ago, the provost, then Provost Gilman, who's now our chancellor, right. launched an initiative uh, process or initiative program. And one of the funded programs was this Exercise, Medicine, and Sports Science Initiative. And as I said, it, it's an initiative that brings together, it's a community of scholars across campus who are interested in physical activity from very basic science questions to more applied clinical uh, applications to the development of novel technologies. Uh, it's in, also involved with community outreach as well as uh, d uh, future fundraising activities. Well, so you're covering it all. Tell us about the students and the scholars that you're seeking, and we'll, we'll, get it, we'll break it down the curriculum a little bit. Sure. So starting actually last fall, to fall of 2014, we had our first incoming class of a program of a major that we started in the biological sciences called the exercise science major. It's a relatively small boutique major. It's right now only has 22 students in it. We have another class coming in this fall. With how many roughly? I think there's 20. So we'll have okay. a total, total uh, cohort of 40 some students. And this major really is focused on giving uh, these students within the biological sciences a much deeper background and appreciation for the role of physical activity in overall uh, health. 
And these are students who many of them want to go on to either medical school, nursing school, physical uh, therapy school, or some on to graduate school. And again, having a a a deeper understanding of physical activity and its role in overall uh, how our body works, how it improves our overall uh, organismal health and overall overall, uh, function. We think, and we can uh, actually set the take us the small cohort, and produce a, a high quality group of students who are going to have a major impact on uh, overall on human health. Well, tell us, Professor Hicks, how is the exercise science curriculum different from the biology major? Yeah, it's the first two years are exactly the same. It's the actually the second two years that are quite different for okay. our, our bio for our exercise science majors. And this in the second two years, they they take a number of courses that are functioned specifically on exercise. They take an exercise physiology course. They take a nutrition course. They're going to take a biomechanics course. And then I think that the really distinguishing characteristic of the major is in their senior year. And f- that starts, their senior year starts in the fall, this year, this fall for our students that came in last year, and they will spend the entire year with faculty who affiliate with the exercise science major. They will end up taking then, uh, a- every week they'll be involved in a, in a three-hour seminar series where we talk about all aspects of physical activity, both what's going on in the current literature as well as historical, as well as hearing from people from not only across campus, but from outside the campus. And so it's You've put together an interdisciplinary program. So, are the the is that second year, second two year set up in the curriculum of this major, bringing them to all over the campus? Or yes, we'll be we will be bringing in faculty uh, and speakers from all across the campus as well as outside the campus who represent different areas of focused on physical activity. So it won't just so be bioscience ma- uh, faculty. And so let's name names of schools like social ecology. Social in there, ecology will be involved. Engineering. Engineering's involved. Medicine's involved. Uh, uh, the School of the Arts is involved. Our Department of Dance, for example, has a long history of understanding the biomechanics of dance and understanding the the, the benefits of dance on, on human health. So we'll be having some of our dance faculty come in and give talks. So we will try to draw from faculty across the campus who affiliate with the exercise initiative to participate in this year-long seminar series during their senior year. So the biology majors are obviously uh, coming into that second set of two years, but are, are you imagining what the interdisciplinary approach the faculty or uh, component of the faculty bring to this are you going to start seeing dance majors coming in and some engineers or maybe uh, social ecology majors coming in? Uh, I Does it yes, co- work both ways? Yes. I mean, our long-term goal is to really expand this undergraduate program. Right now, it's, it started off fairly small, and that's to, de- that's to demonstrate that we can manage an under- undergraduate program. Right. But our long-term vision is to have an interdisciplinary program in exercise science that would bring students from across the campus into that major. It wouldn't just be bio-sci, but that's a long-term vision. It takes time to develop those, but we'd like to see actually an entry-level major eventually where students coming from high school enter to UCI as an exercise science major with this interdisciplinary approach. And just one other finer p- point here is the, the how is this different, this science, from kinesiology? Well, kinesiology really focuses primarily on physical movement. That is, you know, the actions of joints and muscles and how they work in, in, in ach- achieving those kinds of, mo- you know, specific kinds of movements. 
the exercise science major is broader in scope. It's interested in everything, everything from trying to understand at the cellular level how physical activity might be influencing both cell function as well as organ function, as well as understanding something about movement. So it's not just restricted to movement per se, the study of movement per se. It's, it's, it's really focused on all the positive aspects of physical activity on overall physical health, health. Physical health okay. and well-being. Okay. Well... So you've already told us then where you see these undergraduates going. It's all so many different fields, and 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 everybody knows anybody anybody I guess over the age of of probably about forty or forty five. They know that the physical therapy field is just growing. Everybody knows a couple of physical therapists. So that this whole you're just just pushing into that whole direction. It's growing already. Right. I mean, physical ther- therapy is growing like crazy. And also, I mean, one of the things that we're very committed to is that. You know, if we look at our our aging population, a lot of physical uh, illnesses that will come about as associated with age are not going to be just simply treated by more drugs. And so understanding physical activity and its role in altering the trajectory of various kinds of diseases is going to be very important. And I think future physicians, future nurses, future physical therapists have to really understand deeply how... Uh, these particular diseases that are, that are associated with increasing age are are actually benefited by physical activity and be able to prescribe physical activity. And let's go. I want to. That's a great pivot into this whole clinical trial part. But first, I want to let the, for those of you who've just joined us, you're listening to uh, to my guest, Professor James Hicks. He's the director of the Exercise Medicine and Sports Initiative at UCI, and you're listening to Ask a Leader on KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. Streaming and in gyms and workout rooms and clinical trial uh, waiting rooms uh, on the web at KUCI.org. So let's move then into that really, really interesting aspect that you're approaching. And we, we know there's some specific applied sports uh, research that you're taking up too. But I, I found it fascinating when uh, after the conclusion of the Greg Luganis talk, you were telling me about it's time now that the clinical trials have taken up placebos and some kind of pharmaceutical and or at versus doing well the placebo we is is the doing nothing right. alternative but we, it's a double blind usually nobody knows what they're taking so now you want to put into that clinical trial what does the component of on its own not in combination with a pharmaceutical what does exercise contribute to a person's physical well-being so where are you with launching that? Well, what, I, tell us what the meaning and the enterprise is all about. Right. I mean, we're not exactly close to launching it, but it, again, it's another long-term vision for the initiative and for what we want to do here, I think, at UCI. And that is to understand, uh, you know, if you look at a variety of different kinds of clinical trials that are done uh, that examine or look at the effectiveness of a particular new drug, what they do is they have a, as you said, a control group, a placebo group, and then they have the particular drug that they're taking. A couple of years ago, there was a really nice study published in the British Medical Journal, which looked at the role of physical activity and compared it to standard drug treatments for a variety of different kinds of cardiovascular issues. And that study concluded that except for just one of the issues, and one of the issues was congestive heart failure that showed a very positive improvement with the drug, but a whole variety of other cardiovascular issues, there was no difference between the drug being taken and physical activity. In some cases, the physical activity did a better job. So the outcome of that study was that they were proposing that when drug companies are are examining the role or the effectiveness of a new drug, that they should include 
physical activity as one of the groups, one of the controls. The interventions, groups. right. That's right, as one of the interventions. Now, there are a number of clinical trials that have been looking at physical activity in combination with a particular drug or looking at the role of physical activity by itself, but comparing it to a standard treatment is would be, or a brand new treatment would be, a good way to go. We do have here at UCI, by the way, we have a clinical trial that's being run by Professor Kotman, Carl Kotman, who's looking that's at the right. role of physical activity. At the on, Institute of the Mind. Right. Look at the role of physical activity in people that have age-onset dementia or early signs of Alzheimer's and seeing its effectiveness compared to just standard drug regimes. And from what I'm told, and I'm not an expert in this area, but what I'm told by my neuroscience colleagues is that a variety of new drugs out there, or a variety of drugs that have been tested in terms of dementia or Alzheimer's are not that that effective, but that physical activity seems to have a small but always a positive effect. And so it's that kind of powerful effect of physical activity that we want to exploit. And we want, and what we, what I'm promoting or what we're all promoting really is that physical activity be looked at as an alternative and be compared to standard drug treatments or to new drugs when we're looking at their roles in a particular health related issue. So uh, we all know that not just elite athletes, but many regularly sustained uh, athletes, they all know about endorphins. So I'm just thinking that the drug, that's the clinical trial is sort of like what component uh, the endorphins and other things have that are improving the overall physical, mental, interactive physical, mental well-being. Right. I know there, you know, endorphins has been known for a long time now. There's some some other new chemicals that like? are being identified. And I, I can't recall off the top of my head right okay. now the name of the new chemical that's being, that's just been isolated, that's associated with exercise. But, you know, the exact details, though, of exactly how exercise makes us feel the way it does is not really well understood. We know, for example, that when we exercise, we just generally feel better. Is that only endorphins or are there other things going on as well? And that's something that we you know, that requires, I think, additional kinds of research. In terms of the brain, though, coming back to yes. endorphins, you know, the what we now know and what, what both on, based on both animal studies as well as human studies is that exercise, physical activity, actually induces neurogenesis in certain regions of the brain. So that the, for one of those regions of the brain, the hippocampus, that region is very important in memory, and it actually induces development of new neurons within the hippocampus, that neurogenesis. So exercise is this very powerful, what we call modality, this very has a very powerful effect on the body, probably much more powerful than any single drug. The reason I think it's much more powerful is that when you become physically active, whether it's walking, running, swimming, rowing, hiking, dancing, gardening, you're physically active, you're probably turning on a whole variety of genes in your body, a whole variety of genetic networks that get turned on, some get turned on, some get turned off, and that can't be replicated by a pill. Right. And so it's that whole suite of changes that occurs, biological changes that occur during physical activity that's having its powerful effect on our health, on our well-being, on our overall, and how it might alter disease trajectories. And that can't, as I said, be replicated by a single pill. And so, but what we can do is try to understand mechanistically what are all those things that are getting turned on. And that's one of the goals of, the, of having this initiative, having a multidisciplinary approach, bringing together faculty from medicine and biology and engineering and the social sciences, to try to understand exactly what's happening when you do exercise. And it is really, really complex, what all those. And I'm just, I'm thinking there's an endocrinology involved here, but I'm not sure they're going to be called in on this. You're, you're, you're breaking it down in much more fundamental ways. But I, and what I loved about Carl Kottman's uh, refrain, many of his mind lectures that he has in the fall, we talk about those uh, from year to year on Ask a Leader too, is that they're very 
intellectually honest about what a low yield they've gotten out of pharma and that that exercise has been such a breakthrough. And there was also, they talk about in the memory retraining, the motor cognitive processes connecting that to retrain a, a person with declining memory, that the certain motions that you can do, well, while you're cognitively engaged, you're going to have more traction in the memory. And maybe that's what you're talking about, the hippocampus. Yes, exactly right. In fact, uh, my neuroscience colleagues tell me, you know, that when they've patients come to them or people will ask them, well, should to help my memory, should I be doing Sudoku and all these sort of mind exercises? And uh, they'll say, well, you know, it's probably best just to go out for a walk. And or, talk, they say. Talk and, and talk. walk at the same time. Exactly. And that that's probably has much more, a bigger effect than doing Sudoku Past, you know, sitting on your couch doing Sudoku. So, um, or standing up at least. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> In a group. <laughs> and I think the work, I think we're very fortunate. I mean, the work that Carl Kottman has done here, Professor Kottman, he, he has actually been the, the groundbreaker when it came to the role of physical activity and its positive effects on, on uh, brain health. And I think that, that he's opened up that entire field. And I think that we're going to see much more of that kind of research done here at UCI in the future. So I know where everybody's going with this is we know if, if pharma's not involved, medical devices aren't involved, then so who's going to pay for this kind of research? Because there's, there's, nobody's going to earn more money except for a few people I can maybe think of that are involved in the, in the exercise sector. Well, um, yeah, who's going to pay for it? Well, Big Pharma's probably not going to pay for it if they can't... <laughs> No, they're not going to make it, it. yeah. But um, I do think that the National Institutes of Health, in fact, is coming out. Uh, they have a thing called the Common Fund. The Common Fund is a source of money that is, is brings together funds from a variety of the different institutes at NIH. And this fall, the they have announced a Common Fund focused on physical activity and its role in health. And that was the result of the scientific community as well as patient advocate group, advocacy groups, as well as a whole variety of other inputs saying physical activity is so important in overall human health, and we don't really understand the details of how it's improving health or altering disease trajectories, that we need more research in that area. And so this fall, as I said, the NIH is uh, going to have, a, from their common fund, a study section focused on physical activity, and that's good news. It's a source, but we know it's going to take more money. I mean, that it'll take more money. Take it, you know, I would hope that there would be organizations and foundations that would recognize the importance of physical activity and trying to understand its, it's the overall role it has in health and and and, and well being, as well as uh, you know uh, philanthropic donations from the community, knowing that in fact you're not we're not going to get uh, large sums of money from big pharma or from. Uh, you know, companies are going to make a profit off of a particular kind of device. It's really going to be looking at the federal government, NIH, maybe NSF, maybe, but not not highly likely, uh, from private organizations and foundations, and then hopefully from the private sector, people who are interested in overall health and well-being and have the resources to contribute to those kinds of uh, projects. So like the Gates Foundation, uh, the Clintons, and uh, I, mean, as far, I mean, that's sort of where they go with, you know, the, the simple, the that anybody could pick up kind of international kind of translation of, of high and high impact. Exactly. And the thing with physical activity is it is relatively, it is cheap, right? Right. It is cheap to take a walk. It is cheap to do, go gardening. It's cheap to go for a jog or for a swim. And it's much cheaper to society to do that than to rely on the long-term kind of, kind of care that will be associated with a whole variety of different Diseases associated with our current lifestyle and with our with our aging population—that is, Alzheimer's and dementia—but also, you know, in our morbid obesity, hypertension, 
cardiac disease, the result of uh, what we see now is epidemic in proportion. I mean, we cannot address the kinds of health issues that are facing our country by just relying on a pill, just relying on big pharma. We're going to have to incorporate physical activity and understand really what physical activity is doing to address those problems. And when I was a graduate student, they used to talk about type 2 diabetes. They called it age-onset diabetes. If you talk to pediatricians who are now my age, they would say, well, when they were young pediatricians, they never saw type 2 diabetes in children. But now it's epidemic in children. They see it all the time. And that's right. a result of not only lifestyle, but our diets and our nutrition and probably some lack of physical activity. So I think that that this growing problem associated with these other kinds of health issues, we're going to have to incorporate physical activity in, in addressing that. And we have faculty on campus, Dr. Dan Cooper, who's our chair of pediatrics and our director of our Institute for Clinical Translational Sciences, as well as underneath that is his Pediatric Exercise Research Center, which is directed by Dr. Shlomita Zeke. They're doing great work in looking at how to incorporate not only physical activity, but also nutrition into health and well-being of children. And so that's they, they affiliate with the initiative. They're part of the overall bigger umbrella of faculty here on campus that are interested in physical activity, and they're just doing great work. Well, and one other huge benefit that I'm sure other people are anticipating, too, that you just haven't had a chance to get to is that with a pill, there's always side effects. There always are side effects, and right. it's interacting with other things that you're doing. It's limiting things. So with exercise... I mean, I, I understand that from some of the some of the research that I've been newly involved with is that one has to be careful, and that's what you're going to find out is what's the what kind of physical regimen is going to be appropriate for what kind of person's disposition. But but otherwise, exercise is not going to complicate somebody's uh, ke- b- body chemistry. It, it it shouldn't. I mean. Exercise, being physically active, there are always, I mean, I, I'm a big proponent, obviously, of this, but there's always some chance of, of risk involved, right? Especially in team sports. What we've done now is we have, we have children that, par- you know, parents see that, they're, that they involve their children in, in organized athletic events very early on in life. And so we've gone from a period of back when I was growing up and others, you know, back 30, 40 years ago, uh, there was just a lot of playtime. There was a lot of time to just be outside playing around in an unorganized way, whether that was good or bad. Uh, it was it, good. It was, yeah, it was probably awesome. Good. But what we've done now is we've transitioned to much more organized, intense kinds of sports activities. And so I think those are basically good for children. Uh, but there also there's the inherent risk of things that can happen when you are involved in, in sports and athletic events that can it cause injury, overuse injury of joints, as well as other kinds of injuries. For those of you who've just joined us, this ever-illustrious coverage about the benefits of exercise, it's going to be pursued at UCI's Exercise Medicine and Sports Sciences Initiative. It's the director, James Hicks, here at UCI, here on Ask a Leader at KUCI 80.9 FM in Irvine. So I wanted to get into that. You are now currently studying water polo, and you're looking at college athletics level. But I want you to talk a little bit about how much of the history of this, you're, you're looking at trauma now uh, and looking at physical models of the, the kind of impact they're sustaining with the, the 40, 50 mile an hour ball winging at the head there, the, the model head, not the kid's head. But I just want to know how much of the, the history, since you're talking about some of these ever increasing organized sports programs that are putting a lot of children at risk. They're, they're year-round now involved, earlier involved, and so are, they are now subjected to more trauma than their, any of their uh, 
parental counterparts ever were. So how much, uh, when you're looking at your, in your water polo study, how much of the, uh, where does the baseline is it going to uh, be uh, set for uh, looking at, the, or uh, is there a history that you're going to look at as you're studying the students? Right, right. So, um, yeah, so we're actually studying right now the effects of uh, uh, traumatic brain injury in, uh, in the sport of water polo. Traumatic brain injury, I mean, people will say concussion. I think neurologists will tell you that it's concussion is a, a brain injury. It's a traumatic brain injury. It can be mild to moderate to severe, depending on what happened. It's one of the consequences that occurs with being involved in any sort of physical activity, especially team sports where there's some physicality going on. There's been so much attention in the last couple of years on football, starting off with uh, really the attention that was focused on the National Football League, and that's that spilled over into college and now Pop Warner football. And there was an ex- there's been an explosion in the number of studies looking at a whole variety of team sports. And any sport you can think of from lacrosse to soccer to to field hockey. But what I became interested in here at UCI is that, first of all, I have three sons. All of them played water polo. So I have watched the game as a spectator. I didn't play myself. I played American football when I was in high school. But played water. Uh, they all played water polo. And, in fact, UCI has a great history of water polo. So I started thinking about, uh, in terms of getting interested in this area of what happens with uh, uh, head impact injury in sports, is what kind of data was there on the sport of water polo. And it turned out there was none. Nothing. There was wow. nothing at all. There was no, of all the epidemiological studies that had been produced out there, there wasn't a single study on the effects of water polo. But having watched the game, we know it's a physical game. You saw those thumps. So we just want to get a sense of what's happening in that sport. So we've we have a three prong approach to this study. We've we did a survey. We, I uh, collaborated with Dr. Steve Small, who's our chair of neurology. Did a survey and 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 collaborated or cooperated, I should say, with USA Water Polo, who's the national governing body of the men's and women's Olympic team. They provided access to their membership list, and we were able to then to email the survey to their members. And these are all who have either have played the sport or are currently playing the sport of water polo. And we asked a whole series of questions about their experiences. And this gets to your initial question about the history. We try to get a sense of what's going on in the history. You do. In terms of their, did they have they received head impact injuries from other kinds of interactions, you know, from either bicycle accident or, you know, some other kind of trauma. Are you interested in how many headers that they could estimate they were uh, doing? In well, and so in water polo, there's no header per se. That's in soccer. But, but, in that was that, but that's a pre-existing condition, though, they're bringing exactly. in, since so, we know it's not so benign anymore. Right. So we know that if they maybe played soccer as a child, let's say AYSO soccer, it, it would be interesting to know how many uh, headers they took prior to that. But our study here is focused primarily on doing a survey, and then we did a, we focused, we collaborated with the School of Engineering, and they had we had three students who were doing their senior honors thesis, looking at the effects of ball inflation pressure and ball velocity, and this was for water polo, on head impact forces. These were balls that were fired at a crash test dummy head, or they call an anthropomorphic testing dummy. Right. It's a crash test dummy head. And they were able to look at the effects of ball inflation pressure and ball velocity. And as you said when you're introducing this segment, that in water polo, the, the water polo ball can be f- thrown at velocities up to at the highest levels, we're talking about Olympic level or collegiate levels, 50 miles an hour. But it, as low as, you know, the range is from 30 to 50 miles an hour. So the water polo ball weighs about 480 grams, which is about one pound. And so you'd imagine a one pound ball thrown at 45 miles an hour, hitting you square in the head if you're a goalie, there might be significant impacts there. So the engineering study was the focus on the absolute 
magnitude of that head impact injury. We've done the survey. And then this summer, we actually did a study with the UCI men's team in which they play in the summer season. Their season actually starts next week. But during the summer, they play this little. It's called the Pacific Coast League. It's like a it's like a mini season to war- get them in shape and get them ready for the regular season. And we actually had small 3D accelerometers implanted on their in their uh, water polo caps so that we could measure the head impact forces that are occurring during the actual games that they played this summer. And what we found that was quite nice was that the kinds of patterns that we saw for uh, reporting uh, that were reported in the survey. We also found during the actual games that they were playing in terms of where the, the number of head impacts taken by a particular position, uh, game versus practice. And so that gave us confidence that our survey data was actually quite good because the survey was anonymous. All the members that all the people that responded to that, we don't know exactly who they were, but their that data fit very well with what we did this summer on the men's uh, water polo team. So it gives us confidence that our survey was quite good. So that three-prong approach is not I, – I love the sport. I love all organized sports. I love – you know, I'm an I'm a NFL fan, too. I played f- football in high school. I'm a fan of soccer and all, and all uh, kinds of team sports. The goal here is that can we better manage these games? By understanding these games, we can help manage them better, and we can help manage the players then or recognize when players get hit in the head and it's significant. Ultimately, we'd like to come up with – uh, ways of, of improving diagnosis on the sidelines when somebody gets hit in the head, does it is that should that person really be sitting out? I'm not a neurologist, so I have to depend on my neurology colleagues who are who are experts in this area. But that's one again another long term goal is how do we improve by understanding the game, under, understand then or improve the diagnosis of 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 uh, significant head impacts and make sure that the person is then not continuing to play when the brain is most vulnerable because it turns out from studies that have been done. When the head receives a significant impact and you receive a concussion, you're very vulnerable to a second concussion very quickly afterwards. So we want to make sure those people aren't in the game. So how do we do that and make that decision rationally and quantitatively? And set up that protocol. Yeah. Right. Well, this there is much to be said about this, but I really want to make sure we take a moment now to talk about the September 12 special event that you're presenting It's called Moving Through Life, Physical Activity and Health. It's an all-day event that's roughly like 8 o'clock until 5 at UCI's Student Center. And you've invited Joan Benoit Samuelson. We all remember her when she was the champion of the first-ever female Olympic marathon event. She medaled here. It was in uh, 1984 in L.A., and she is going to be the keynote speaker and her title be There Is No Finish Line. And that is right, right where right, the sweet spot of what you're trying to, uh, your your whole message is going to be with this initiative. So tell us about that lovely event that uh, is open to anybody uh, who's hearing this and would like to still register for that. Right. It's uh, As you said, it's on Saturday, September 12th. We're quite excited about it. it uh, we're, we're very happy and pleased to have Joan Benoit as our keynote speaker in the morning. I think she's, you know, since she completed her her Olympic years, she's been very active in promoting physical activity as you age and and has remained very active. She just ran the Boston Marathon actually back in 
uh, March, April, and ran it only 30 minutes slower than she did when she won yeah. the marathon wow. in 1984. But this event is going to focus on a variety of issues that we think encompass the overall initiative here at UCI. As we said, it's free and open to the public, uh, and we're going to have free parking here if you register for the event ahead of time. Well, that's unheard of at UCI, it's by totally the way. totally unheard of. Yeah, free parking. Just for that. But in the morning, we're going to have, after Joan's keynote address, we're going to have two panels and forums meeting simultaneously, so you can choose to go to either one. One's going to be focused on kids and activity, which we are looking forward to, and that's being run by uh, Margaret Schneider, who's from Social Ecology, along with Dan Cooper, who's from Pediatrics. And we've also included some members from our local uh, uh, school districts to be involved, and they help plan that particular forum. Simultaneously, there's going to be a forum called Physical Activity and Brain Health, and we're going to talk about the role of physical activity and improving overall brain health, and we're also going to talk about concussion as well. So some of the latest stuff that Steve Small has been doing on the concussion studies will be presented there. There'll be a lunchtime, free lunch for everybody as well. If you register ahead of time, you'll get a free lunch. And we'll have some technology demonstrations because part of the initiative is some of the work that is being done by our engineering faculty in the development of some novel technologies associated with physical activity. So they'll be there to show off some of their new technologies. And then in the afternoon, we're going to have a panel that's being organized by Dr. Ruben Chen. He's an alumni from UC Irvine Medical School and is a sports medicine doc. And he is going to be running a forum and panel called the recent advances in sports medicine and orthopedics. And so he'll be talking about plasma enrichment therapy. Do they really work? Performance enhancing drugs. What do they? What are they really doing to you? And, 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 the, and those kinds of issues. And then simultaneously, we're going to have another panel and forum that's being organized and run by the Susan Samueli Center for Integrative Medicine called Nourish Your Brain and Body Through, or Your Mind and Body Through Movement. And it, I really look forward to that particular forum. And they're going to have some speakers there talking about various kinds of activities you can do to improve overall health and wellness and particularly overall you know and I think that includes Dr. Shinlin with the Dr. Tai Chi. Dr. Shinlin will be there to demonstrate some some of the benefits of Tai Chi and the effects it has on overall uh, health and wellness so we're looking forward to that and then the very last day part of the day uh, about three o'clock or so, three thirty, will be a keynote address by Dr. Dan Cooper, our chair of pediatrics. Dan's our director, as I said earlier, of our Institute for Clinical Translational Science. He was also the 2015 Pediatrician of the Year in Orange County, and Dan has had a long history of looking at physical activity in children. And look forward to his him closing out the day's event. The online way to to reserve this is to go to emssi.uci.edu. Go to that website and you can register your spot. So bring bring yourself and bring your child or bring your partner. Be a part of this incredible event. It covers every single base you can imagine. Yeah, it's going to be really fun. And it's an opportunity for people to ask questions of the experts and to hear the latest information on these areas. It'll be fun. Well, Professor Jim Hicks, I thank you for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you very much. That was Professor James Hicks, Director of Exercise Medicine and Sports Initiative and also UCI's Interim Vice Chancellor for Research on this new disciplinary program.